Hello, you're listening to Dr. Diggy's podcast. I'll be debunking medical myths through conversations with health professionals. Hi everyone and welcome back to episode five of the Dr. Diggy's podcast. I'm super excited today to have not one but two special guests with me to discuss and dispel some of those myths behind uh, skincare and makeup. Uh, this First I have the honour of introducing a really good friend of mine, we both went to medical school together and she has a huge, huge passion for anything skincare, cosmetic products and hair products. One day I might expose her hair product shelf aka room that she has. Um, Dr Yemi Bello is a dermatology fellow and will eventually become a consultant dermatologist in a couple of years. She has a master's in aesthetic medicine and a diploma in cosmetic science. So Yemi and I actually worked together on Alafia um, Health and Wellness Health back in January, um, pre-coronavirus, and it was a really, really fun event. Um, and it, the main the main goal of the event was to raise awareness and educate the African and Caribbean population in in London, and um, to provide an opportunity to really raise awareness about health issues that affect us. It's something we're truly passionate about, and you can find out more information about Alafia on the Insta- Instagram page. I'm also excited to introduce to me the beauty chemist. You can find her by that name on Instagram. She's a cosmetic scientist who completed her degree at the London College of Fashion. Having worked in the beauty industry for over a decade, spending a significant portion of that time working in research and development, to me is a wealth of knowledge on beauty products and their formulations. I'm really looking forward to having both these ladies on to discuss and break down some of those myths behind skincare and beauty products. Okay, so... Thank you so, so much for joining me, ladies, to me and Yemi. I'm so happy to have you both here. And I thought, I guess to start off with, I know I've introduced you, but can you just tell me to me just about a little bit about, you know, cosmetic science and what, you know, what that is and what, what does that mean for your work? Okay, so cosmetic scientist is, um, science, sorry, is pharmaceutical science, but with personal care products, so skincare, makeup, so anything that is used to, um, look after the body, maintain it, keep it clean. Um, so I've been in the industry since 2018. Oh, that's a lie, 2008, sorry. <laughs> 2000. Been in the industry for 12 years now. <laughs> that's a huge um, amount of experience. Wow. Yeah, so I've been around. I've been around, started off at London College of Fashion and did a degree which was bespoke to cosmetic science and it was called cosmetic science. And um, I've been working since 2011 2012 nice and yeah i've been an um, r&d chemist so making cosmetics and skincare only recently have i transitioned into marketing and raw material sales awesome cool and we've also got yemi and yemi she's a dermatologist dermatology clinical research clinical fellow am i got that right she's not officially in training but that's the goal to become a badass consultant dermatology one day. And I just think it'd be really good to discuss, and we, you know, to me, you know, join in here just to discuss like, what, what tips and things would you give to people when you're trying to differentiate, when you're going to see someone with your skin issue, with skin, um, a, a clinician with skin issues. Like if you want to see somebody and you've got a skin condition or problem, 
who do you go to? Do you go to your GP? Did you go to an esthetician, a dermatologist? Like who, I mean, and what's the difference? Because I feel like it's really important to just set the scene and make things clear um, for everyone listening. So what are your thoughts, Yemi? Um, I think it's a case of understanding that our roles are different, but there are many ways that our roles actually overlap. And so doctors will essentially be coming from a place of um, managing um, actual diseases and also obviously health promotion is an important part of what we do. But then estheticians, not to minimize the roles of either group of people, but estheticians will be more um, sort of geared towards, um, I guess, improving or enhancing the way your body looks or the way you know parts of you look essentially. Exactly. So I guess some of your questions would basically be, um, if, you're, if you've got an esthetician, um, it could be that they're not medically trained, um, they are medically trained, um, and they're not a dermatologist, or your esthetician is um, actually a dermatologist. And obviously not all dermatologists know everything about um, aesthetics, and not all estheticians know everything about dermatology, essentially. Absolutely. So dermatology, I guess, I don't know how you summarise it, I mean, but it's it's you're managing skin diseases. So you're covering these, you know, dermatologists will cover skin cancer, long-term skin conditions like acne, um, rosacea, um, to, I mean, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge amount you can cover with that. And I'm just touched on a few. And whereas I, I feel like with um, cosmetic practitioners, sorry, cosmetic aesthetic practitioners, they will be more in the line of helping to I feel like almost resolve some of the scarring some of the issues and also to help rejuvenate make the most out of your skin bring out the natural beauty or with extra with extra you know thrills like with toxins and fillers or chemical peels and stuff and I feel like they're very knowledgeable about this these kind of areas yeah. and so like you said not to be dismissed because like we said dermatologists they have to go through <laughs> five to six years of medical school then you have almost seven years or six years of clinical training. Yeah, so foundation, then your core training or, or GP training, or you could even start off with peds as well. Yeah. And then you specific derm training, which is um, at the moment four years before you become a dermatology consultant. Yeah. Having achieved like your competencies and passed the relevant exams. Exactly. And there's just not, I just feel like with the breadth of and depth of knowledge they need to know, with all the different skin conditions uh unfortunately the uk i just don't think there's space to fit in the the wide amount of knowledge that all these um non-medically trained uh aesthetic doctors have because they have a huge wealth of knowledge like i'm a huge fan of caroline hirons i've got her book this book is awesome like i love it like this is a great great book about i mean she's just no nonsense i think she's great like she's and i think if this was in the curriculum for dermatologists, great. That'd be, that'd be awesome. That would help. But like, if there's so much, so just to understand and have that expect, not to lower expectations, but to have understanding about where you're going. If you're worried about skin cancer, please go to your GP. If you're, if you want to get, have a glow, or if you want to help treat maybe acne scars. Yeah, sure. An aesthetic doctor will have so many solutions available to you. Um, but yeah, it's really, really important to have an idea like who to go to and when and why. But um, just not forgetting that these groups of people can work together. Oh, so yes. 
your dermatologist for your um, sort of medical side of your acne treatment, for example, in terms of actually managing the scars, your esthetician might well be the best person. They may be able to offer you things like laser treatments, chemical peels that you're not necessarily going to get on the NHS. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what have your, have you had any experiences to me with this at all? Any issues or any tips you'd give? I guess it's up to um, the individual to take responsibility over what, how deep they think the issue is. Um, so if it, they feel like, oh, this is a superficial issue, they know that they can superficially treat it with over-the-counter skincare. But if perhaps over-the-counter skincare isn't working for them, then go to a dermatologist. And if dermatologist doesn't work, then perhaps GP, seeing if there's something internally. Because I always say that what's going on the inside always expresses itself on the outside. And the outside is just the tip Ab- exactly exactly and like you said Yemi it's it's really important not to separate the two as well maybe consider them together so if you're going to your facialist and you've been going to a G- your GP and dermatologist for 10 years please tell the facialist please tell the esthetician so they so they understand that okay you've been really struggling I know what to focus on or actually you need to actually be with a medic you need to for a good vice versa they be able to be like okay at this point i need you to go and see your gp and your gp will also be able to say actually at this point i'm going to refer you on to your dermatologist yeah. absolutely i think they take th- you know i think things to look out for is they're taking a thorough history they're asking about allergies they're asking about family history they're yeah. asking they're taking the time to ask these questions before they even get their hands on you like you would when you go to a gp and it's not because they 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 um it's not a waste of time. It's essential because you could be complaining about something and if they're not sure and if they think mm, this might be actually something like akin to lupus or this could be signs of something else, um, they will, they'll push you into looking to seek a, a, a medical help or a doctor. Just to, And you go, and like you said, yeah, I mean, you can work together. You could still be going to see both. So like I said, give all this information to your facialist. Also give that information or as acidic doctor, give that information that you about your procedures that you've had to your doctor because even if they don't know they're not that knowledgeable it's so useful for painting the overall picture um so that so they can't be like oh actually we need to start you on something a bit more um intense because you've tried everything (laughs) um and yeah so it just makes things easier i think but yeah so 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 true um so I gave you guys like a list of things to discuss Mm -hmm. and I honestly feel like this could be a whole nother podcast. Let me know if you want me to just switch things up and do do a skincare makeup podcast because I am definitely tempted. This is, there's just so much to talk about because I just have you two today and I thought, nah, this is, I need to ask. So let's start with, let's start with skincare and then later we'll go through my Turin Trash questions because some of these have been um, um, sent through through uh, Instagram. Thank you guys if you've messaged your sent some messages on DMs. So let's start with this one. I think we had a chat about this to me the other day. Um, skin bleaching. We have to talk about it. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Yeah. Um, there was this really helpful Netflix series called oh documentary called Skin. Oh yeah. And it highlighted skin bleaching. It's such an interesting topic because it's not just about people wanting to change their uh, skin colour. I think it's a psychological thing as well. Um, a lot of it has been colourism, where yeah. lighter skin has been more attractive. So darker skins have felt the need to 
um, lighten their skin to be more attractive or more socially acceptable, which is really unfortunate because yeah. everyone is beautiful and black comes in many different shades. And the darker the berry, the sweeter the juice. So, um, <laughs> um, what is interesting is that I don't particularly think that evening out or brightening your skin is wrong. And I don't think it's wrong because sun different reasons cause um, overproduction of melanin um, and you get darker, you get hyperpigmentation. And so the process of lightening or brightening your skin is to help you bring your skin back to normality. Nothing wrong with that. I personally use vitamin C to help bring my skin back to normality, especially when I've been to Nigeria, a hot country, and my skin's looking a lot darker and it's taken a while to recover. Vitamin C is a great way of brightening your skin. Where it becomes detrimental is when you are trying to take your skin from its normal color to being something a lot lighter than what it needs to be. Why are we doing this? Yeah, yeah. And how? Can I ask? I mean, for our listeners who don't know, like, what different ways, Yemi? I love your face. <laughs> You're just like, why are we talk about this? <laughs> Um, a lot of what Timmy um, mentioned. So there are lots of different terms that are like bandied around um, bleaching, lightening, whitening, brightening. And I think in a lot of people's minds, they think that there are very sort of like clear distinctions between all of these things. I think for me, the defining factor really is about what your intention is. So like Timmy, yeah. I see you. Um, I see somebody who is lightening the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation from shaving their underarms very different to somebody that is using a product that lighted their entire body several shades lighter than what is normal yeah. for them. Yeah, absolutely. That intention. Um, so in terms of the ways that you can do this, there are lots of different um, ingredients that are responsible for lightening your skin to like varying degrees so to be mentioned like vitamin c there's also niacinamide and even retinoids as well can lighten your skin to or brighten your skin to a degree um how how strongly they can do that it's quite different to something like kojic acid for example or hydrochloric yeah. um yeah and so all these ingredients actually work in different ways at different strengths and things like that yeah absolutely i think that's the key and i think it's it's tricky because people do kind of naturally kind of um, dismiss or throw shade at people who are doing this. And I think when you talked about skin, I need to watch a documentary. You said yourself to me that there is a, there's a psychological aspect as, uh, of this and it's also your environment. If a lot of people are doing it, the expectation is to do it. Um, it can have, and there's, you hear stories about people having like successful um, careers after bleaching successful getting married getting that record deal then I can understand why people want to do it because there's a clear pathway to success if you have lighter skin as it were there I can see that I can understand that but it's more it's really important I think to tackle that and not to throw shame it's just it's more to um it's more important to just explain the risks and make people really understand that I understand why you're going to do this but do you really understand the risks you know some of these products can actually damage your liver and that can also have an effect on your pigment of your skin. We can have a whole nother discussion about that. But you, like we said, you said earlier that um, skin 
you know, health conditions, health diseases can manifest skin in different ways. So for example, I, I know as a doctor that if someone has liver disease, they will become jaundice, which means their skin goes yellow, their eyes go yellow. Can you imagine bleaching and then going, having yeah. affecting your liver and then possibly then becoming another color? Like this is, this is a huge thing that people don't, probably don't realize or don't even consider. So it's, it's really important to really be um, to educate and really do your research before you even um, look at uh, bleaching and maybe even consider, like you mentioned, vitamin C, consider safer options available for lightening for the skin. If you, if that's what you want for, to, to reduce pigmentation, because you know, that's a big issue and I don't think that should be dismissed like for people. Um, and yeah that's what i, I, I want to check out that I, I was meant to watch it this week and i haven't got around to it i'm going to check out that netflix documentary have you seen it yami no i haven't oh okay cool i'll do that homework again <laughs> netflix okay cool awesome you mentioned going to going to nigeria sometimes you become darker i'm like probably the weirdest person in my family like the way I, the way I have to be in the sun, like like this, like proper, like in the sun for like oh, two weeks before <laughs> I even tan at all, like it's mad. Wow. My husband literally will be like, well, we went to Mexico together when we were dating, and he would like day one different shade. I was just like, what is this? Proper tans, like it was unbelievable. Um, and I only started tanning after like two weeks or towards the end of the trip. Um, and this wow. is a, this is Mexico intense sun, like almost like African sun. So everyone's different. Um, do you do you do you wear SPF yourselves to protect? Oh, yourself? definitely. I tan really easily. Um, I tan within the instant, like literally as soon as I get outside, I'm darker. I have a really funny photo where I've just gone running in the UK, and um, I was wearing a hat and. <gasps> the bit that was covered is like one shade and the bit that isn't covered is darker. So I tan really, really, really easy with SPF or without SPF, I will tan. So I'm actually using, it's right in front of me. Let me see. Um, Ah. SPF 50, I absolutely love it. I love it because the formulation is really light. You don't notice that you're wearing it and you're protected. Um, I don't think there's anything I'm ever gonna be able to do to stop that process of tanning but at least my skin is protected. Absolutely. And I like that. I've seen that brand, um, that specific product on other people's accounts. I follow, what's her name? Is it Mel's wardrobe? Melissa? Melissa. <sighs> Melissa Hardbrook. Yeah. She is Melissa. hilarious. And she, um, with her, oh, we're running out of time, guys. I might have to like, we have to dial back in because we did chat a bit at the beginning. It's fine. Um, Let's chat for five minutes and then we can hold on let me no we can go on when it cuts off i'll edit it it's not a problem i'm going to edit all of this um but she uh she she recommends that and that's spf 50 right that's what yeah. you use yeah that's okay. the top spf spf 50 i mean for black people really we can get away with just wearing spf 25 because we don't need that much spf but the reason why i choose to use it is because i don't want fancy changing my foundation because i i do tan really easy and my foundation isn't the cheapest so I, I want to stay the same color without having to change <laughs> foundation. so do you so what do you think Yemi I've always been told from what I've been reading about SPFs um SPF 50 and from also Caroline's book SPF 50 is what we should all be wearing if we want um what and and I think there's a lot of 
confusion about like SPF 30, SPF 10. I've seen some of my products. I'm looking at them. Some of them say they've got like moisturizers. They've got SPF 15. And then there's this whole thing as well about like um, we could talk about, which is like the white, you know, white, the white cast, especially in people with darker skin and products that just for black people. Like, like, like SPF products <laughs> just for black people. And I'm like, is that just no, not, I hear that. is that not just I chemical think... sunscreen? So there's two types, right? There's the chemical sunscreen that doesn't give you a white cast. And then there's the, what's he called? The one with zinc oxides, the, um, so is... there's the organic SPS filters, which is the zinc oxides and the titanium dioxides. And then there's the chemical SPF filters, which are, can't see them because they've got really long chemical names like benzos and things quite clear, yeah they're quite clear chemicals they don't um give much color in a formulation you know you were saying that spf 50 should be the standard i i'm not sure i can i can agree with that okay i think that um spf 50 is the maximum amount of spf you can get in any product and it's easier to say to everyone where spf 50 because it's harder to determine what spf you specifically need uh, um, so it's easy to over-prescribe than it fine. is to under-prescribe. Okay. Um, I think just the way cosmetic science has got, everything is becoming more advanced. Back in the day, they would use titanium dioxide and zinc um, on the Nivea SPF product. And so when you wear them, you see this whiteness, especially if you go into the water, you just see this whiteness. But as time has gone, um, as time has improved, we found more creative ways to develop products in, so that there isn't that white cast um, and that's using chemical filters and I think that that's the way most people are now moving to go away from that whiteness even though the titaniums and the zincs are actually the most effective. Really? But aesthetically walking around looking white. No it's okay it's okay. It's not, it's not cute. It's not cute. It's not cute. Yemi what are your thoughts before we um, I think that, you know, as Tony uh, was touching on, there are lots of complexities around the advice um, for sunscreens. Um, I think maybe to summarise, really, we just need um, increased like research in people with um, across skin tones, basically. So a lot of our research is done in um, like Caucasian skin tones, for example. So we just need more research. Um, Sunscreen can protect you against lots of different things. So it can protect you against sunburn, for example. And we do know that black people do sunburn. And I think if you want a little bit more sort of like information, probably go on the BAD website. So British Association of Dermatology and see what they've got to say about um, darker skin tones. Um, yeah, but do I wear sunscreen? Yeah, I put a daily sunscreen on my face when I go into like quite high intensity sun or I'm expecting to be in the sun for longer periods, I will put sunscreen on my body as well. Oh, that's good. I've I started copying, I'm so influenced by people, but even when I, I've been starting to do like little runs in the morning and walks. And the first time I did it, I was like, wow, this is, this is very, very uh, harsh sun today. I'm gonna... So after the next day I went on the walk, I decided to put some sun cream because I literally could feel like not not like a burning sensation but I could definitely feel the heat against my face and my face was bare because if I don't get up to leave and walk out I will literally find some excuse not to leave my house and go for that walk so <laughs> I've had to include that in my routine now is to like get up get out of bed put that you know SPF sunscreen on and then leave um, and another 
and I mentioned that because I wanted to um, touch on something you were looking at with the Laffy. You did some research on the Laffy page about um, sunburn, people who sunburn. Do you sunburn to me? Have you actually like had any like peeling or burning sensation? Like, yeah. um, it was quite a few years ago. I was on holiday in Miami with family, and um, I was burning in the water, but I hadn't realised. Um, so when wow. I came out of the water, my shoulder was peeling. No, and um, I hadn't used an SPF, and because there was for a long time, people were like, "Oh, black people don't burn. Black people don't need sun." Absolutely. Screen. So I thought, "I'm black. I'm born for the sun." So I never used an SPF, and then I experienced peeling, and it was really painful. Um, and then I experienced that again as an adult, and then I realized, "Yo, I need to get with this whole SPF thing because it's a thing. Black people need it." <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe your skin was peeling. I think only time my skin. Anyway, go on, Yami. You were going to mention. Uh, talk a bit more about your 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 research. I think it's really important to like collect this kind of data because, like you said, a lot of people don't believe this that you yeah. can actually. I've had something similar to um to me. So both me and my sister burnt on holiday to the Tenerife, the same holiday. We came back to England and um, skin was peeling, legs, shoulders. <gasps> no. <laughs> So what actually happened for us was we thought we had sunscreen on, but I had actually put <laughs> and didn't realise it wasn't sunscreen. <laughs> wow. I'm sitting in the sun. I was just like, oh, this, my legs are actually really painful. It, it really hurts. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's so wild. But no, my legs are proper painful. I don't even understand this. But anyways, so I went to like have a shower in the evening and so I was washing my hair and I was just like, this feels really grainy. This is not my conditioner. What's this? And I was like, oh, lo and behold, that's my... Um, that's the SPF. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so upsetting. Okay, guys. I feel like I've known you guys for years. Honestly, it's so easy to talk to you. Oh, thanks. Oh, stop it. <laughs> so childish sorry um so yeah we were talking about we were talking about sunscreens your story reminds me of like this is reverse happened to my dad so a few years ago oh god years ago over 10 over a decade ago my dad under a decade my dad traveled moved back to nigeria to be a lecturer and he had lived in the uk since the 90s and moved back in like mid 2000s whatever and he's like i'm african man i'm not going to burn blah 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 puts johnson baby oil on his face like you know standard behavior and i'm like he's gonna burn because i noticed when we went to brighton a few days out his his nose the skin around his nose will start peeling a little bit because i have the same thing we have the same type of skin so when he was about to go to nigeria i was like this guy is going to come back burnt (laughs) so i didn't want to even argue with him i've realized my relationship with him is just don't even engage just trick so what i did is i put um sunscreen in his johnson baby oil bottle and just is like it's okay it smells the same when he opens it he's like yes it's just said it's not but you know that's why he hasn't burned because otherwise his nose literally be bright red and peeling and he's like oh it's fine it's not fine but medications (laughs) (laughs) i can do this it's just understanding isn't it yeah absolutely like within the black community within you know even asian communities um, lots of different communities with, um, that have people with darker skin types. Um, for lots of different reasons, we think that um, we don't get sunburned. 
And that can be in part to do with the way that sunscreens are advertised and also because of um, the type of research that's done and who it's done in. So also there are lots of um, medics and healthcare professionals who also think that um, like black people and um, people with darker skin types don't tend to um, sunburn. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so true. It's, it's, it's so interesting. I think that's really key to note as well is actually in the medical profession, and just in general, people seem to think that um, if you're much darker, if you've got much deeper skin tone, that you won't sunburn. And I think it's just really important to understand that even with, you know, obviously black people come in lots of different skin tones, even with people deep, quite deep skin tones, you still um, can sunburn. People still do sunburn. Absolutely. And just between the three of us, I'm quite, I'm fair. And compared to my sister, who's probably maybe your complexion, Yemi, I think a little bit darker and my sister tans and burns way way more and like more intensely like she'll literally be walking around in this in the day and has such will get tan lines on her like her feet and same with my partner who's my husband who's also darker darker than me he tans and burns more so actually that idea that we've heard the myth that we've heard that darker people don't tan or sorry don't burn or don't tan or anything and don't need sunscreen really needs to be challenged um and like we all know when unless we collect data on this and do research institutions unfortunately will probably just be like ah it's just anecdotal we don't really we're going to believe what we believe we we have unless we have the data to say no this is the opposite and i think uh hopefully kikemi and her magic you know will come and just switch that up you know i'm here for it um cool so let's move on a little bit so let's talk about i just want to talk about um what do you guys know about hyaluronic acid? I think that might be a good Quite one for you, Timmy, just to explain. Like, I've been seeing, this is something I feel like has become really popular. A lot of the um, really cool cosmetic doctors and facialists on social media sometimes have been, have been you know, promoting it a lot. A lot of the brands have been promoting it. And I'm like, does it really work? Like, is it just in my head? Like, what is... And maybe you can also well, touch it on... It definitely does work. It definitely does work. I mean, hyaluronic acid is naturally found in the skin. It's the thing that keeps our skin looking young. And it's yeah. It's naturally found in the skin and it yeah. retains moisture um, in the skin. Um, in skincare, when obviously with time and aging, you, you lose that moisture, you lose that youthfulness. Um, having skincare products that have hyaluronic acid in it would help to replump it temporarily, re... Mm-mm make it look a nice <laughs> rejuvenate nice. yeah rejuvenate is the way i think to um and then there's the lip fillers as well they're just adding more hyaluronic acid into your oh i see so what i was asking sorry to me is this the hyaluronic acid not injected in because i know why, how that will work because you're putting it into the layer of the skin where you naturally find hyaluronic acid you're kind of replacing the stuff that's already lost but i'm talking about the stuff you slap on onto your face does that work like i've got a bottle here um obviously all skincare is quite oh <laughs> all skincare is quite i've got that i love it all skincare is quite superficial in the sense that it only works with epidermis and works with the superficial layer of the skin and to add hyaluronic acid to it um it just attracts more water okay makes your skin plump and that effect is temporary, so probably for two to three days. So uh, okay. Reapply it. It's Fine. Not that stays with you. Like so when you hear ads when they're saying it, get, it enters deep down and stuff, you're like, no, it just stays on top. It's not that deep. 
<laughs> awesome cool um i don't know whether it's uh, moving on we could maybe talk about um a little bit about fillers then and toxins and fillers have you had any experience of that to me or yummy like what were your thoughts about like what what are they in general and what what can they be used for yeah so um in my masters like we've done probably a module or a bit more on like fillers and toxins so um, fillers basically are um, products that can be um, injected into layers of the skin to um, help to sort of tackle volume loss in certain places, um, help to give you a more youthful appearance and also help to tackle wrinkles. And toxins, like more, more specifically like botulinum toxin um, is used to it can be used in medical settings as well as like cosmetic settings. Um, so in the cosmetic setting, it can be used to um, do things like just relax the muscles of the face. So to diminish the appearance of wrinkles and also a little bit of a prophylactic um, type of effect as well. So if you're mo you, sorry, moving your muscles less, then you're sort of like creating less of those movements that can contribute to creating more wrinkles. Uh, okay. So you can use Botox for lots of other stuff. So like um, excessive sweating, it's used medically if you've got like muscle contractures and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that, that I think that what I wanted to do is just to talk, touch upon like the differences and like what they work. And I think you can get some of these products from like aesthetic practitioners, cosmetic doctors, and I guess maybe some dermatologists who practice cosmetic um, um medicine as well um so another let's have a look what else was i on this oh my god i've got such a huge list of questions is there anything on this list that you didn't want to like you'd have want to move on to because i actually want to touch on on this question because we don't really talk about um much about skincare in men and like i had a message from someone asking about just some general key messages and tip tips for skincare advice for men with beards because i think that's become so trendy in the last few years i don't know about you but every guy who can grow a beard is growing a beard some with stronger than others and uh <laughs> it, it does make you think about hygiene and stuff do you have any tips yami um or to me um so i guess there are lots of different um things that we could talk about so just from the general um looking after the beard itself so just thinking about the fact that um sort of like more kinky uh, or tightly curled hair textures will have like different, slightly different needs to um, straighter hair textures. That's one thing to start off on. Um, so, you know, with like tangling um, of the hair um, and also the feel of the hair as well. And then also just looking after the skin underneath because I know that um, itching can be a problem for a lot of people with beards. Yeah. And also like ingrown hairs or, you know, pseudo folliculitis, barber, stuff like that. And how can that be like managed in general? Are you, are you, would you suggest washing it and treating it like you would your hair on your head or like any, any cool oils? Cause I've seen some brands release. I won't mention any names. I don't know the names, but like branding, like hair, beard oils and stuff specifically. I'm like, it sounds cool, but I'm sure it's just, it's just an oil. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's any different <laughs> to what you can have on your head. Like, you know, <laughs> kind of feel like um with all brands men and women there's a lot of marketing involved and you just pick your niche person and you pitch your products accordingly so 
in a way, yes, you can look after your beard as you do with the hair. But I do feel like with your hair, you can get away with putting a lot more greasy things on your hair. Uh, Whereas yeah. with your beard, I wouldn't want to walk around with castor oil on my beard because that just doesn't feel great. Uh, well, not that I know, but I can imagine it doesn't feel great. <laughs> Just a disclaimer, Tumi doesn't have a beard. She has no evidence of a beard. She's got great skin. Um, (laughs) I can just, I think people use or formulators use what's appropriate. So for a beard, I would use something that's a light oil, but still hydrating and moisturizing. And for your hair, I probably use castor oil or something that's a little bit heavier, that's still moisturizing and all the rest of it. But um, just being appropriate, really. So, so washing it, you'd use shampoo, you'd use conditioner, and I guess it's as if you have a really thick, curly, hefty. I'm trying to think of someone with a big beard as an example. Can you guys think of anyone? I can't. No one comes to mind. I don't know why. Oh gosh, Kevin, a couple. Who? He does like hyper realistic drawing. Who's that? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have well, to think. But, but in general, isn't it just for the basics? Am I wrong? It would just be like shampoo, conditioner, keeping it dry and you know moisture, moisturized, but not you know, drowning yeah. in oil. Like, you know, there's no fancy yeah. way of dipping it in oil. Like, you don't need to do that. Nothing silly like that. Um, and I guess. I don't know about if there's any tips you have about shaving. Anyway, we, we might need to find someone to come and give us a chat about that. That might be, but it, it would be I the same thing. Get a barber for that. I I'll mean, that on my to-do list. Maybe. Okay. Cool. So, okay, we did touch upon this a little bit when we talked about um, bleaching and saying how, like, you know, it's really important to know that your skin. Actually, at the beginning, we mentioned that your skin can manifest other conditions underlying conditions and i thought it'd be interesting to talk about something anecdotally that we we've um yemi and i've i've seen uh through uh, a friend i won't disclose details but someone who who basically was um had on ongoing anemia and it was only when we took a look at her hands we realized it was probably related that was the probably the first sign of her severe anemia so if someone's anemic that means their hb their their um which is, is part of the red blood, red blood cells is really low so normally it should be like whatever grade you use it should be between 12 to 14 i think am i am i wrong yemi um so it's split according to um you know, sex your- gender so um, men are expected to um, have a slightly higher range than women. Yeah. But we get really worried and panicky, almost pass out. The doctors, by the way, if you have a HB less than like five, six, like we're, we're like, how are you still functioning? That's too, too low. And this person we know had a very, very low HB, this low. And it had been probably dropping very slowly over the last few months. And the only sign she had... Um, apart from having heavy periods, menstrual period, was complete skin changes. Like her, her fingers were very, very pale, very almost huge, like complete change. Um, and it's it's not something that I think we learned in school. Like you know that if, you know, the, the textbook is like, if you're pale, you know, that's a sign of anemia. But in black people, that's not something we consider. We, I'm never pale. Like what, what, what do you mean pale? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Yemi? 
So I think for me, um, it's understanding that, you know, black people come in a range of skin tones. And also, I think the emphasis should be on um, whether there's a change from normal for that person. So you can find people that may well look paler than what's normal for them. The question is, will somebody else be able to recognise that? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's where education comes into it. And it would be so nice for an everyday person like myself to be able to have a resource where I can go and learn about these things because it's not taught to me at school. Um, NHS H1 teach me. Well, where do I go to find out this information? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it'll be so useful if this was almost, almost like uh, when you go on patient info, you can see what a measles rash would look like or meningi- meningitis rash would look like. You know, it'd be really good if you can, if that kind of resource was there available for um, patients with a variety of skin tones. And I know that chap, um, the medical student Malone has got this really good book um, called, is it Mind the Gap? Let me just check what it's called. Mind gap, yeah. Mind gap, yeah. Mind the back. So, um, mind the gap. Mind the gap, and it's a handbook of clinical signs um, for people, you know, people with darker skin tones and majority black skin tones. And I was so proud of him. Like even Lupita retweeted, reposted on her Instagram. I was like, come on, this is awesome. <laughs> but like, it's it, it would be really useful, um, like you said, for your just average Joe in the street to have somewhere they can go to, and also really, really important for. Um, trainees medical doctors nurses anyone um to have this kind of resource i think what's really important as well is that um it's not um more of a thing where you go somewhere separate to see these things the resources that exist exactly pictures and images of people across skin tones absolutely almost like it's normal like it's not a big deal i mean and i'm absolutely saluting and clapping and cheering for malone but why we shouldn't have to, I should go onto patient info and see the same images that you'd have already. But um, why? Medical school and creating the book that you're supposed to be learning from. Can you imagine that that is the state we're in? It's, it's, it's very, it's frustrating. I mean, we both medical school were just like, this is a madness, but I was not as motivated as Malone to be like, I'm a teach everybody. Like what? No, I'm not paying my school fees to teach people. <laughs> Sorry, but well done for Malone. I'm really proud of him. That's not easy. And I think he's getting a lot of press. And I think people, some people have reached out to me saying there's other IG accounts. I think Brown Skin Matters have been posting and and um, a lot of uh, images to educate people about this issue. And I think he's, part of the reason why he's got a lot of press is I think his, he's got the backing of the medical school. And mm. um, when you have this kind of backing, and you know, unfortunately, and compared to other independent organizations, um, you don't, it, you don't it, it doesn't often make, have such a huge impact, nothing to negate yeah. or to, you know, diminish their work. There's space for everyone. Everyone, if you want, publish a book. Like we need as many resources as possible. There's zero. Yeah. There's no need for competition. But I'm a bit hopeful about Malone's work because if it's backed by the university, hopefully this will shed a get into the decision in, into the rooms where the real stakeholders are to make this actually part of the curriculum. You know, you know the people who will decide what where the you know the content for um, patient info will be in the room looking at this. So it's it, I'm I'm very excited and really hopeful. But um, cool. Um, let's have a look. So I think another thing I wanted to talk about, 
uh, when we talk about products just now we won't main, mention names but you when we had a, I called you to me I meant you mentioned something about expenses versus cheap products and there's some products I absolutely adore and my skin I think my skin thinks I'm a millionaire my think my skin thinks I've got a Kardashian bank account because it only wants the really expensive products and my skin will glow when I put them on and if I try and put any makeup from anyone from Boots it's literally like nah you look I look ashy I look it's so unfair. So I'm not lying. I'm not making this up as an excuse to spend money. <laughs> yeah, we're still laughing at me. I'm trying to think about how I can say this in the least offensive just, way. Just offend me. It's fine. Just say it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm a mug. I think that, oh gosh, marketing plays a huge, huge role in brands selling their products. And I have personally seen a brand with a £10 um, marketing position have the exact same formulation as a brand with a £30 marketing position. The only difference was the brand name. So many times there are instances where you are paying for marketing and the brand that you think you are buying into or the lifestyle that you like to buy into. Um, I, want the, I want the lifestyle. <laughs> you want to have this designer thing sat on your shelf in your bathroom. So when people come into your house, they're like, oh, she buys. Mm-mm. Um, even though it's the same formulation as uh-uh. So I can't say names all the way. Yeah. Um, there was blind tests where there was a really cheap um, food supermarket product. Then there was a mass market food um, product. And then there was a premium product and they gave, I think it was 20 participants, the three creams and they asked them to score them and give an overall total as to what they felt was the best. So aesthetically, the way it felt, um, smell and how they enjoyed the experience of using it. And it worked out that a lot of people preferred the cheapest product which goes against everything that perhaps we would think because you would think they would probably go for the most premium or the most luxurious um, product because that's probably better. But actually, it just goes to show that great marketing can make something appear to be more than what it is. I mean, cocoa butter is cocoa butter. Whether I use it in a designer product or if I use it in it's a cheaper product, it's still cocoa butter, its function is still the same. Yeah. I think um, with premium products, you will find that they've probably used more actives, um, which have a lot more research and development behind them, or they've used fragrances which have perfumers and people that have actually spent some time and effort into um, developing this formulation, and therefore they can justify the the prices that they're charging because the product comes with a lot of substantiation and a lot of research and development. Yeah. Um, it's pro- probably not something the consumer would be able to tell which product has the most research and development behind it and which product is just cocoa butter and some water put together. I think for me, um, skin is very subjective. What works for you might not necessarily work for me. And it's up to the consumer to go and make their own calculated decisions as to this is what I want to use and this is not what I want to use. It's really hard to say, oh, 
this more expensive thing is better than the a less expensive thing because I don't think it really works like that. I think what works for you is the thing that you should go for. Absolutely. But to think critically, and I think that's what we want, the key message we want is to really understand like marketing and branding can really pull the wool over your eyes um, and, and really think about like, what are you using this for? I know that the, for me anyway, the urgency I want to buy it, it looks nice. It's pretty, you know, but like control yourself, you know, <laughs> look at the ingredients and be like oh okay this is the same as this okay i don't actually need the shiny bright one like you know that was used by so and so like it's not necessary and what i like but um about some of the beauty influencers i follow is they use a diverse range of products they'll be using the and that's and for me that's who i prefer to to look at and follow when i want to get tips and stuff if they are using a diverse range then i know they're not just you know they they they, they're thinking critically about the product um Do you see what I mean? Like, like you said, because there are a few beauty brand um, bloggers that I absolutely love because they don't just promote products because they're being paid to. Because you're yes. some of them are just being paid to. Oh, that's true. Make money, so they say whatever they need to say to yeah. get that money. Um, but there is one. Are we allowed to say names? Jackie oh. Anya. Yes. Yeah, that's she fine. She is amazing. I she love her. Like. like Jackie is my girl. She does not partner with brands that she cannot back. And that's one thing that I love about her is her level of integrity. Yes. If she thought something was crap, she's like, this ain't for me, this is crap. If she thought something was good, she tells the truth. And I think um, you build a lot of credibility and trust with your um, market when you tell the truth. Oh, it's so important. I don't know about, I mean, Yemi knows this. I have, Yemi's like YouTube queen. When we used to, just background, we used to be to medical school (laughs) together. And then we used to live together when we were when we were in our foundation year, second year. Oh, and like, so she's homegirl. And like, she's so <laughs> patient on YouTube. I have zero patience. So her and my sister like were the same. Like they would always be on YouTube, watch this video. I'm like, I can't be bothered. But like, it's only Jackie I know I could be bothered for. Like she gets my attention. She's, like you said, very honest, very direct. It's no nonsense. If she doesn't like it, she'll say, or she just won't partner with them. So I know what I'm getting. And I think, being open-minded to that kind of you if you are looking for information or advice or tips about products or reviews go and look for the, the influencers or whatever who are a bit more critical and a bit more open a bit more daring to say actually no nah, this is not this is not working um and have that integrity you know who else i like there's this guy called hiram oh YouTube. my sister mentioned him yes i really like him hiram i need to check him out then another person who will just give you um honesty so um he will talk about a product he'll talk about the things that he likes and then also talk about the things that he didn't like so much and he just gives you know quite a balanced review and uh, so you get the impression that even if he was going to be paid for something um he would still give you um a balanced and honest um, review of that product yeah. and just, even the products that she does partner with and choose to talk about she'll be like i really love this one thing I will say is um, they should have worked on this a bit or something like that. Exactly. Constructive yeah. criticism. So you, the brand, I mean, it's so useful for the brands. The brands just be out there like this with a notepad. What did Jackie say? What did she, because she's, this is what they want to hear. This is the information they want to know. And then for us as consumers, I feel like I'm getting a bit more of a balanced, you know, information, uh, information, information. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, the way I just trick back into medical speak, inflammation. <laughs> 
cheese. So let's go to talk about, let's, we could cover some of the topics in the uh, true or trash bit. Uh, okay, that's the first one. Um, cosmetic products don't have an expi- expiration date. True or trash? Trash, trash. Get I like that to be throw it in the bin. Do you know what I need to get? I need to get like a bin sound effect. So let me see what I can do for when I edit it. <laughs> so no, get in the bin. I'll be trash. honest. I didn't. I didn't know about this until maybe like a year ago. That there's actually something on the actual bottle. I can't even speak properly. Bottle that actually shows you the expiry date. It's yeah. like um, what's it? Let me see if I can in this. I one. don't know if you can see, but it says twelve months there in that pot. It looks like a little pot, and it's so small in some yeah, products. Yes, that's it. Keep an eye and on it for that. It has twelve months in it, or eighteen months, or twenty-four months, depending on the product. On but all, they all, every single one of them have an expiration, an expiry, expiry date. Um, growing up, I watched my mum never really throw things out, and I think that was my, I guess. Um, I followed her footsteps in the yeah. sense that I didn't feel like makeup needed to grow it out. Someone shared this beautiful eyeshadow palette, Mary, Mary Kay, I think, or Fashion One of them, beautiful eyeshadow palette, she had it for years. And I remember we just go try them on. And she never really threw that out. And so growing up, I, when I accumulated makeup, I never threw it out, like until it was finished or until I was bored of it. Yeah. It wasn't until I got to university, I was like, oh, damn. I've been using some stuff for a couple of years now and um but they all have an expiration expiry date they all have an expiry date and it's all on um the packaging and i think it's really important to follow that because if you don't follow that you it's like using molding bread and still eating it like hey would you do that you molding bread eye palette mold and still eating it would you do that you know, it's so. You know what's so funny is when I realised this, I remembered when I first found out about this. I had like a, a mascara I really liked. I think L'Oreal or something had a really nice mascara I really liked. And I was like, towards the end, it did get kind of itchy, and I'm like, that's why. <laughs> Throw it away. And the thing is, the bacterial growth in makeup and cosmetics is very subtle. It's not like with food, you see this green. Um, yeah, exactly. You won't see it, but you have you have some have a bit of that dry eye sensation and if you're unlucky you might actually have a a, a sty or another kind of infection from it depending on what it is okay so this question for you um yemi antibiotics can treat acne true or trash cool and topical and oh, sorry you can use antibiotics that you can apply onto the skin yeah or that you actually take through the mouth I think the reason I included this is someone mentioned that it really did a number on her. The person who messaged me said it did a number on her um, gut. Like she had a a real problem with IBS or something afterwards, um, or just kind of like gastro issues. And it's because it's an antibiotic, I guess. I think she might have taken oral antibiotics. And I think guidelines are they shouldn't be taken for more than three months. Is that right? So um, at a time. For quite a long period of time. Um, all medications that you take will have side effects. Not everybody's going to get those side effects. Mm. So common with um, antibiotics is to cause like, gut disturbances, but not everybody's going to get them. If you've got a, um, a medical condition like acne, for example, um, you might well be on antibiotics for a, a fairly long period of time. But, you know, 
if like her you're getting some problems with gut issues it's important to speak to your doctor and just say i'm experiencing side effects what can we do yeah exactly uh, okay we got uh let me see if we've got a few more questions before the time runs out again mm. <laughs> um okay so another question is sorry this is just in the way go away um all anti-aging products work true or trash or anti huh so which, so which ones work because like if you don't know then i think that's that's important thing to really think about as if you're a consumer if you're looking to buy or you're looking to try stuff out um retinoids sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay you go yemi yeah. and then to me as far as like um products that you apply onto the skin so retinoids is sort of like the gold star at the moment but there are lots of anti-aging things like chemical peels, AHAs, um, niacinamide to an extent. So depends what you're talking about. And anything else to me you think would work? I struggle with that question so much um, because anti-aging is prevents aging, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. And um, even cocoa butter is anti-aging because if you keep your skin moisturized, um, it won't age so quickly as dehydrated skin would. So I would say all creams to an extent are anti-aging. It depends what are you looking to get out of yeah. the product. And then you make your calculated decision as to if this works for you or not. I cannot say something, I don't know, that's low range or low end of the range doesn't work. I can't say that because I believe that all creams work to an extent to provide a level of anti-aging it's what you want from that anti-aging product that determines if it works so if you want something that stops wrinkles and fine lines yeah make sure that you're buying the thing that will help you do that or achieve that then you will know if it works absolutely anti-aging is such a big term and i put it there on on purpose to be a bit annoying because like you said people if you don't wash your face regularly if you don't uh, moisturize it if you don't wear SPF there's loads of things even with these basic things that can help reduce signs of aging um, drinking water technically could be anti-aging is a big one you know you and could be doing water drinkers neither whole water doesn't taste the same can I just say that which one the real water drinkers no that all water <laughs> cheers guys um, Real water drinkers know that all water doesn't taste the same. Can I just say that? I had to say that. So, yes, it's so, so important. I think setting up a regime, think, it's also really important to think about what, you, what your goals are, and, but get the basics, you know, wash your face. Mm. Use something that if you have, if you think you have dry skin, use something that will be, provide at least a little bit of moisture, even when you are washing your face. Um, wear SPF you know all these things can protect but if you're looking specifically for one thing like you said to me if it's for fine fine lines or wrinkles then i think is it retinoids would be work would work um and yeah it's just being like just understanding that i wouldn't say all products but like technically like you said to me if they are part of preventing eight signs of aging then a lot of products more than the, the usual trendy ones we're seeing now can be can be kind of part under that under that group but yeah tricky question the other thing yeah. to say something that's not necessarily um sort of put under anti-aging umbrella 
um that often is sunscreen that should be your one of your first oh yeah auntie caroline she says it a lot of what we see um in terms of like wrinkles and fine lines is because of the effect of the sun um you've got obviously intrinsic and then also sun-induced aging as well oh yeah there's some things we can't control you know as i get as you know you see my cheeks we're on zoom guys but and my cheeks are quite full and round as i get older this is gonna drop my bones gonna start reabsorbing no. I, can't, I can't control all those things god forbid but i'm just saying if it happens i can't control <laughs> it it's all genetic your parents are good that part is that part is genetic <laughs> that part but i'm not gonna start smoking and then be expecting yeah, my wrinkles yeah. to disappear if it's still smoking like you know there's yeah. for me my big healthy habit absolutely you can do so so much just from like literally stop smoking drink lots of water and wash your face and or diet. cream on I your face diet. Diet, diet for me is like one of the best things you can do for your skin definitely um let's see so honestly i could go on for ages i might have to do a part two of this or i'll have to really have a think down and reflect because i've had so much fun with you guys today and I still haven't even gone through like 10% of all the things I wanted to talk about. But I want to keep you here and hold you ransom any longer. Um, but do you have any key messages to our listeners about, just in general, about skincare and makeup and um, about maybe, I guess, where would, you, where would you go to find information? And where that would be a good thing, a good tip to leave, I think. Um, so what would you say to that, uh, Jimmy? What would be your key message, I guess, after everything we've discussed? My key message for people would be to understand your skin and its needs. Um, and you can find out more about your skin is by just trying different products. You can organically just go to Superdrug, try different products and see how they react or how you respond to them. Or alternatively, just check out YouTube and follow beauty bloggers and people that have been in the industry for a while and take their recommendations. And just begin that journey of what works for you for me personally, it took me at least five or six years to have the staple ingredients that I knew worked for me. And the reason why I chose to go by ingredients was because brands are always updating, always doing different things. So I'm not loyal when it comes to brands, but when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to ingredients, I, I make my decisions based on the ingredients that I know are good for me. Yeah. Yeah, me, what are your what's your key message, I guess? I think it's a case of listening to your skin and its needs and also making sure that you're going to the right person for the um, appropriate advice. Absolutely. And I think overall, just be critical, really think critically about everything you see, whether you're getting information from YouTube or blogs or actually on patient information websites really think critically and um be mindful about what you consume and i think we talked about this um offline earlier to me like you don't you control how much you consume and you're very careful about how much time you spend on social media because i don't know if i definitely my spending habits have definitely gone up since i've been on instagram and uh i'm literally a marketer's dream is this and i think it's really important to like control that and really think why am i buying this what is it for do i need to spend 100 pounds on this um is the person showing this to me making money from it and that's why she's promote he or she's promoting it so really really think critically um but yeah i think if if you have any questions or if you want me to do another episode like this send me a message 
send me a dm because we didn't cover like everything but i think we touched upon key things i think are important to know um but yeah thank you so so much um ladies is there anything else you wanted to add or say here's your time here's your moment <laughs> <My memory>. <laughs> <laughs> okay cool thank you so much and um I'll, I'll be in touch soon bye girls bye all right take care Thank you for listening to episode five of Dr. Diggy's podcast. I thought it was great to share and discuss some of the misconceptions behind skincare and makeup with an actual cosmetic scientist and a dermatology clinical fellow. Seeing as we only touched the tip of the iceberg, I'm really considering a whole skincare and beauty series. So do watch the space. Thanks again to Tumi and Dr. Yemi Bello. I really enjoyed um, recording this episode. And if you enjoyed it too, remember to share, subscribe and rate the podcast on Spotify, Apple and on SoundCloud. Thanks again and I'll be back soon with another episode to debunk those medical myths. <laughs>